Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, Joining us today, it's Axel. Hello, everybody. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. DW. Greetings. Greg. Hello there. And Samaria. Sup, y'all. And today we are going to, uh, well, as as the, the markings on the tin say, we need to talk about Rena. <sighs> yeah. Um, <laughs> she's the one character we haven't really talked about yet, and that's because this is a character that we have a lot to say about. And I think right about now, I am just going to sit my white ass down and hand it over to Samaria <laughs> for first thoughts. Um, God, Rena. Like, there are some characters that are pleasure to dislike, to that are just delightful to hate. And Rena's none of that. Like, I genuinely sometimes have to mute have to mute whenever Rena's on screen and just watch the subtitles because everything about her pisses me off. Like the way she holds herself, the way she talks, everything she says, the look on her face. <laughs> like, it's just, if, if it were possible to shift into that universe and jump one person and, th and that's all I get to do in this universe, <laughs> it would be her. Like, I... <laughs> Shout out to the actor yeah. for creating a character that has no redeeming features whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I've mentioned before that, you know, this show has probably had the best, and I used best in quotes, like um, portrayal of slavery in a slave society that I've ever seen in ways that, for whatever reason, like historical dramas and movies and what have you have never truly truly hit home for me um but <laughs> robert jordan and the the what the watt cinematic universe team have have done their thing here <laughs> because like i i feel very very connected to i don't know what to call it, an allegory a metaphor or what have you this story this representation this illustration that i never have before in my 30 years of life so there's that and and rena has the misfortune of <laughs> of being like number one target of all of my hatred and you know inherited generational rage what well, i wonder of the panel um is Rena so hated because of things specific to Rena, or because uh, as the representation of that position within that society? Is Rena just a, a generic? Do we think Rena is just a generic example of that position? I think is part of what I'm asking. No, I I, I see her as a as somebody who has drunk the Kool Aid and has really embrace the role for the cruelty. You know, someone who is, she seems to be someone who enjoys her position. She she kind of couches it as, you know, it's my duty and everything, but, you know, she's a sadist. I, I, I think 
Rena also very much symbolizes the kind of people who would have described themselves as one of the good slave owners. Like, I'm nice. Mm-hmm. She she pets her like she's a pet. She pets right. Egwene like she's a pet. The very first time she introduces herself, she says, some Soldan disagree, but I believe that, you know, you can have a bonds of friendship between a Soldan and her demonic. I'm letting her it's keep like, her name. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> You know, like she sees herself as one of the good ones. And I think that's one of the things that makes her so vile. Well, yeah, I've, I've often believed that the best villains are the people who think they're the good guys. Oh, yeah. I, I really feel like Ren is the one character in the show that I have, like, has no redeeming characteristics whatsoever. Like, Surath is a sulky child. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of go, yeah, you just weren't raised right. But <laughs> Rena is foul. I got to agree with Samaria on this one. I absolutely hated her. Yeah. yeah. I think speaking of like Rena's place in the empire, like I feel like she identifies with her job way too closely. Like we we see other Sodom. Um, we see her general, her commanding officer, whatever. Rena takes it personally, like every single time, you know, Egwene refuses to fight on the tower, you know, Rena loses it, you know, when they're on the training grounds, Rena's like, you will shine brighter than everybody else. You know, she, like her position as a soul down, I feel like is a critical, fundamental, inextricable part of her identity in a way that we don't necessarily see with other Soldoms. Mm-hmm. And I and and I that's what really turns my stomach and pisses me off because I mean they're all terrible, like just flat out. <laughs> but I think there's something about being able to separate yourself from that where it's like, okay, this is what I do, this isn't me, versus Rena, where like who is like, you get a feeling whatever's happening behind the scenes in the barracks, like in her career and her childhood, like you get this feeling that for Rena being a Sodom is her and she is a Sodom those like and so ah, yeah this is <laughs> that's, that's why it, it's a big reason why it pisses me off <laughs> like she pisses me off because yeah like oh this this is you this is you this isn't this isn't just the paycheck <laughs> the cruelty is the point mm-hmm. you know that's that's what she lives to do and it just so happens that she happened to find find the perfect career for her you know the perfect weight of life for you know for a sociopath is to you know control other people it's like and the poetic nature of having the reason that she is able to be in that position be because she is also a channeler Mm, okay so (laughs) i have a lot i've been thinking about the vault for months really but especially the last the last few episodes we've been going through characters because up until about two weeks ago like i thought the saddam knew that they were channelers (laughs) so like when she gets caught up in the brace and she calls Egwene stupid, that this doesn't work on me. I had been running on the assumption. I don't know what I based this assumption on. I just assumed that Rena knew it wouldn't work on her because they had already tried for whatever reason. And, you know, when we first watched these episodes, I thought and then quickly discarded that Saldam were once Damane and rose through the ranks. And I was like, mm, no, that doesn't quite make sense. Anyway, I thought Rena knew 
that she could touch the source, how, however little. And then it occurred to me that she genuinely did not. And so this totally, like I had to sit back and rethink everything I knew about this culture, this society, because I was like, oh, okay. Mm, so if interesting. So obviously they're testing all girls or if they don't test all girls, there's a threshold where they're like, okay, you can channel, here you go. And then obviously there's a threshold where they can't sense it for whatever reason and you're considered a person, yay. Let, let me uh, bring us back for a second to our episode where we talked about the one power and channeling and how that manifests. We know that there are many channelers out there and most of those channelers are never going to touch the source without training. Um, they can, they will eventually touch the source possibly with training, but without that training or without a, a very traumatic event to force it out of them, they're probably not going to ever know unless an Aes Sedai comes by and happens to notice the resonance in that person. Um, there are some people such as Egwene and Nynaeve who are so powerful that they are eventually going to channel whether they want to or not. But they are the rarities. They're, so you've got people who are, as we call them, sparkers. They just are born with the spark and they're going to channel no matter what. And then there are learners, people who have the capability but are only going to get there if somebody teaches them. Okay. So Ren is clearly a learner. There we go. Okay. So when they're when they are going through testing people for whether or not they could be a soldam or a demone and they check them well if they're a sparker they're going to end up being a demone if they're a learner they're going to end up being a soldam and they don't realize that that's what's going on interesting and since sparkers are far more rare than learners you have way more soldam than you do demone so, so dumb. Oh, hence Renna being like, oh, it's an honor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So they've got like a bag full of soldoms just sitting on the side. <laughs> so when they find a sparker, they just, oh, we'll pick from our plentiful source of people who will never touch the source. Yeah. Um, generally, one, it, it's a case of once the trainer trains up the Damani appropriately, then the Damani is kind of passed around. Like the Damane never gets free time. They're free, you know, when when one Soldom is done with them, they'll pass them off to another usually. Well, that's horrible. Yeah. Yep. Taking PTO. Uh. <laughs> well, I don't know about the P part. But uh. I did notice that Renna's scars on her face looked very fresh. So um it it does look like the Shan Chen do ritual scarification for you know stat uh, like rank a, and... a rank indicator yeah, yeah so yeah actually we also saw ritual scarification on on uh, High Lord Turok yeah mm -hmm. quite a few of them actually even the background characters you see scars on their faces it's kind of like okay so this is how they indicate one of the ways they indicate. I'll never stop being fascinated by a culture that does body modification to indicate who you are in the hierarchy. I mean, it's 
something that you can't take away. So right, but also something that can be easily, you know, some dude with a knife can make himself a general. You know, <laughs> uh, just at the same time, if you get found out, true, yeah. true, true. Generally, the the few people who got found out are enough to make other people go, well, that's not a good idea. That yeah. actually brings an interesting thought, like, because branding of prisoners is something that you we have seen yep. in... Pirates, especially. Um, mm-hmm. Different cultures. So, like... And tattooing, also. What do they do to people who get caught faking their status? Like, I imagine that's probably pretty horrific. Yeah, if they're if they're willing to do scarification to mark the people that they like, what are they willing to do to the people they don't like? But I also do get the vibe that uh, the training to be a soldom is also not exactly a pleasant experience. And oh, I gosh, feel like no. Rena just came out of that to put somebody in that state of mind of being ready to be able to do this to somebody else. Ugh, it 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 gives me shudders to think about it. Yeah, like I think that's. Like, other than that just being her personality, I think that's why she panics so much when she has a hard time getting Egwene into line and why she resorts seemingly to, like, the worst possible, like, punishment every single time. Cutting off her hair, cutting out her tongue, like, beating her up when she can't pour the water you know, where it's kind of like, how how do you think that will get someone in line if <laughs> if you you're clearly aware enough that trying to be nice to a demone is likely a better way to go about getting a demone in line than fear based methods. <laughs> However, (laughs) the way you resort so quickly to them, despite your commitment to building a friendship, tells me a lot. (laughs) One, that your position as a Sodom is probably new, and two, that it's precarious. (laughs) And, like, when they're on the tower and her commanding officer is like, are you you having trouble with your demonic? She's like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, like, it's like, okay, it's like, okay, okay, so you want to be here. You clearly know in your mind that, in whatever warped sense, it's an honor to be here, but also that it's very quickly undid, undone. Okay, so, mm-hmm. I, so we're just, we're just, you know, capitalizing on fear at every level of this. And I don't say that to feel sorry for her because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> ever but i like it's like hmm, okay this this gives me a very interesting peek into both your psyche and the way this culture works i found it interesting how much i mean she failed but how much she attempted to psychologically manipulate Egwene. like that whole thing with the tree was interesting because on the one hand she's really feeding into that whole it feels good to channel it feels good to channel together. But on the other hand, she also says, I know this tree brings you comfort and then immediately has her destroy it. So like there's this weird push-pull that she does all the time. And I wonder how much that's part of Soldam training. I mean, I, I think about that a lot too. I thought about how 
like she she quite literally dehumanizes Egwene. Like, oh, I'll let you keep your name. You're not a person. You're not a woman. You're a demonic. And at the same time, on the flip side goes, you know, the people in your white tower, they enslaved you too. Like, oh, they they just want you to do little, little party tricks. You're just a magician pulling bunnies out of a hat. But here you can you can be a real channeler, you know, you can use your, your powers, your, your capabilities for real things, things that actually matter. And I'm like, oh, war. And then I was like, hmm, societies that rely on war don't usually last that long. Or if they do, they collapse pretty spectacularly and in quick fashion. But, you know. Yeah, I, I think we're witnessing that in real time right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, yikes. Um, Anyway, <laughs> but it's like, which one is it, Rena? Is is she worth something, or is it is she just not a person? Is she just a thing, or, or both? Given how I know exactly how you know slavery and the Western Hemisphere worked, but I, you're all, you know you're only worth as much as you're useful. Um, worth as an object like you're an object, not worth as in like your inherent value as a human being that exists in this universe, um, which, the, you know. The underhanded nature of, of being able to talk to somebody in telling them how worthless they are and how not a person they are, but to do it from a position of, no, I'm telling you this because I'm your friend and I, I just need you to understand. They've told you you were a person, didn't they? Oh, you poor thing. No, I'm sorry that I have to be the one to tell you that you're an object. Like that mentality is so villainous. And as a weapon specifically, that's mm -hmm. that's the other part of that. You know, you're not a tool. Well, you are a tool, but a tool of war. But you're the best weapon. You're a special weapon. You're right. the bestest weapon that ever weaponed. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be the best canon of all of them. <laughs> Which, you know, it's, oh, this just popped in my head, but not really because I thought of this last night too when I was rewatching everything where Swan is telling Ran like how the dragon is supposed to be used for mm. for the White Tower mm. to, you know, right the world again, et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, yeah, we're supposed to cage you and poke and prod you and train you and then bring you out to shoot cannons at the bad guys. And then we put you back away until you're useful. But I don't want to do that. And I just found that a really, really interesting juxtaposition because I'm pretty sure those scenes are like back to back to each other, or at least very close. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Nice find. Thank you. Well, I, I know that in previous episodes we speculated it before it like, all came out, but I, I don't remember if it did. Was it in the show that the uh, cuffs and the collar were designed t for the dragon? I know we speculated on it, but I don't remember if it ever like was I, actually I, said. I don't believe show. they ever said anything like that in, in the show. Just just that it was created by an Aes Sedai and they took it, right? Yes. And it could have been to, you know, to silence unruly channelers, you know an Aes Sedai that goes mad or something like that, you know, not necessarily, or, you know, could be for male channelers too. Yeah. 
Well, that, that's when 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 she gave the description of what they were going to do to the dragon. That is what kind of put that idea in my head of, yeah. of the fact that, oh, this device was created for when they came across the dragon. This is how you control the dragon. That, that was always my pet theory that it was created yeah. to control male channelers as maybe as an experiment to see if they could use them without having to kill them. Right. I, I don't want an answer to this, Rourke. I'm going to say in <laughs> advance. <laughs> but I now wonder, are we going to see those collars and, and uh, bracelets again? I mean, by asking that question, I feel like our, you're asking, are we going to see the Sean Chan again? Which No, no. I mean, is it going to come up in a different way? Is, is it not exactly like Chekhov's gun, but is, is it something that now that this has been placed in the world, is it going to come up and have a different use in a way that we're all going, oh, I didn't see that. Cut. Like, that's where my mind goes with it. That's, it's a very specific thing that part of me feels like it's going to make a repeat. We'll get a glimpse of somebody's sleeve will move up and you'll see that bracelet on somebody and be like, oh. That would be really interesting. <laughs> I, I have have started doing these now just to see how <laughs> I'm not giving anything away sometimes Poker you guys face. say stuff that I'm like that would be interesting that would be really interesting right <laughs> we see through you now what am I John Cena no that's you can't see you know See through you like, in the words of Dennis Miller, I see through you like used Neutrogena. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not even going to try to unpack that. Um, <laughs> Good call. <laughs> but I do want to say, Greg, thank you for leading us straight, straight into our first puppy break because, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We need a laugh. We need we need to think about puppies. Let's everybody just take a moment and and just think about lying on the floor and a whole bunch of puppies just come up and they're whining and they're wiggling all over the place and they're trying to lick your face. In a field of golden puppies. Puppies, 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 puppies. A little bit of a palate cleanser. There. Yeah. Yeah. We need to dub in some like puppy sounds. <laughs> I, I, I'm usually having to dub out my dogs in, in the mix. <laughs> but actual puppies, not full-grown dogs. All dogs are puppies. Um, I want to take a, a minute and kind of look at the larger story with the Sean Chan and Rena and everything here and just see how we feel it relates to the real world because Samaria, I remember when we were first watching the episodes and I mentioned that Robert Jordan was from Charleston, you said, oh, I figured this was either Charleston or Savannah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And so obviously there are real world, world connections to be made here and I want to see what all we find. I, I already know what we're going to find, but let's go there anyway. Yeah. Like I've mentioned before that Rena is just so obviously an overseer to me. Mm -hmm. Like that one-to-one -one comparison is just very clear and i don't mean that as shade or an insult because if it's well done it's well done um and it is the idea here in the u.s specifically because i'm not going to claim any real knowledge about slavery anywhere else in the western hemisphere but you know when the u.s overseers were white trash like for lack of a better mm. way to put it like 
these were not people who went into this business because they had anything else going on for them, you know? Um, so these, <laughs> these were dirt poor people, no prospects, no real way to, you know, even begin to climb the ladder of upward mobility. You know, they came from nothing. They have nobody. Or if they do have somebody, it's it's not anything good. Like, no, there was no middle class or even respectable poor white farmers who were sending off their sons to be overseers. <laughs> like, that, that's not what this was. Like, you were an overseer because you had nothing else in life to look forward to. And I think that's very clearly what we see with Rena and other Saddam, like, now that we have this knowledge, like you have nothing else to contribute to the society, but you can do this. Um, and overseers were often much more feared than, you know, the master of the house. Well, they were the enforcers. Right. You're right there. You know, they are immediately available. Um the punishment were very swift and overseers also got harshly, violently, viciously punished if they did not do their job correctly. And so there was an incentive for them from the top to do their absolute worst, literally. And on the flip side, because they this was like the bottom of the barrel, like both in society and like on this plantation in a position of power. Like, where's your outlet for this? Insla like enslaved people. And we see that directly with Rena. Like her commanding officer barely has any respect for her. She's clearly brand new to this. We actually know this for a fact because on the training grounds, like the the CO was like, oh, congratulations, you get a demone. So, you know, yay, she's been promoted. Like, she gets to be in basic training. As far as I know, like, well, apparently according to Rark, <laughs> like, you have access to the source. You can channel. You're a learner. <laughs> so you don't know that you are a demone, but you clearly recognize subconsciously somewhere in the deep recesses of your mind that this is your only real option in life. So what do you do? You, you take advantage of this, I guess, but then you also take it out on Egwene and McGain and all of the other women that you captured and enslaved and tortured. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What you were saying about the uh, the overseer uh, dynamic, especially in terms of you know Western uh, slave culture, uh, or you know, not culture, but the the, the practice. Um, yeah, th th you're right in terms of th them being sort of the uncontrollable. You know, you're, you're hiring the uncontrollable to control other people. And that is just destructive all the way around. Uh, you know, again, the cruelty is the, the point, the point of the job. It is the way that the job is performed. And if you don't perform, it gets visited back onto you. So, you know, hurt people, hurt people and all of that. But still, uh, 
the idea that you will be treated the way that we treat these people that we view as not human, you know, we will dehumanize you as well. It, it, it's just a, you know, it, it, it's sick and it's what was done. Well, and if you look at it from the, the culture that they've created in the story where somebody knows that the Soldoms have the ability to touch. So somebody knows if they don't think that the uh, Demones are human, then neither are the Soldom. Right. Which is, you know, akin to the overseer being the bottom of the barrel of white society. You know, the white right. trash. Like, the, do you defend, you're defending your position because you know that there's actually nothing else separating you from the people you're looking over except an accident of birth. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like you, you you're can't vote either. Yeah. <laughs> you can't own property either. You know, mm -hmm. you have no say in anything in this world, but you get to be white. That is your reward. And you get to be a guy. That is also your reward. You, and I mean, we see this play out today in all kinds of different ways. Like this isn't like, something that's unique to 150 years ago <laughs> we can see this right now in like voting patterns but um it's like well when people who vote against their interest right and it's like okay well i have nothing but i do have the power to deny other people things so if i can't have anything nice you don't get to either and you know i Right. And at least you'll be worse off. So I can pretend that I'm better off because you're worse off, even though we're both fucked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. At least I'm not the bottom of the barrel. That kind of. Yeah. And mindset. I will protect that not being the bottom of the barrel and treat you horribly just so I have that potential, however slim, to maybe someday ascend to the higher realms of everything. To the, to the higher realm of the barrel? It, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's always the dream of the getting out of the barrel, but they're not even really realistic. This reminds me of um, something I read, a book I read by uh, Tadeusz Borowski. Um, he was a Pole who was arrested by the Gestapo um, for going to univer underground university because in the Nazi occupation, it was illegal um, for Poles to um, be educated. And after being in prison for two months, he was sent to Auschwitz, um, where he was, he was a slave laborer. Um, he survived the war and wrote a book about his and fellow's experiences called This Way to the Gas, Ladies and Gentlemen. That's a title. Wow. It's a really powerful book. Uh, and one of the things that he wrote uh, from his experiences, uh, there is no crime that a man will not commit in order to save himself. And having saved himself, he will commit crimes for increasingly trivial reasons. He will commit them first out of duty, then from habit, and finally for pleasure. You know, so, and, and I think that speaks to in a society where this happens, even if you come into it not wanting to at first, because you're because you 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 hit the either I die or I do or I do nasty things and I don't want to die, and then you it normalizes and there are small benefits to you. And you and also like as humans, that is how 
you know, that's how we work. If you hate yourself, you're not going to be able to keep doing what you're doing. If you hate your life. So we, we normalize oppressing people, right? You, and you learn to like it because so you can feel validated in your job and that you're doing, you'll find reasons why what you're doing is good and worthwhile. You'll create these justifications, right? And so like this, which isn't in any way a, um, an ex, like an excuse, but it's like, this is what people, this is what people just do. You know, and that's what's going to happen. It's where someone like Renekin from, it doesn't matter what she thought to begin with. After having been in this environment, she has to end up like that or be dead. You know, and the system brutalizes everyone in it. That it does. Woof, woof. (laughs) 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 I mean, on one hand, I would say you kind of sound like a Rena apologist. On the other hand, you make perfect sense. It, it's everybody in, in the system is, is brutalized. Everybody but the people at the very, very top. Oh, yeah, exactly. They get to have their long nails. Yeah. <laughs> this is also something that applies in our society, that we are just able to avoid it, right? Like, our society is built on slavery and oppression, right? Like, the chocolate we eat. The phones that we use, right? The cars we drive, everything is built on slavery and oppression. It's just, it's in other countries, so we don't see it and we don't think about it and we have no way out. Or it's in prisons. Yeah. Or in prisons, right? Yeah. Right. You know, there is no escaping it. And so we just don't think we are lucky. We're privileged enough to not have to think about it. Right. Because if we did, we'd be paralyzed, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's not an apology. I mean, maybe it's an apology for her at, in, no, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I did not mean to make you, you feel on the spot about the apology. Just, yeah. Yeah. I think we can like say we understand why Reddit is the way she is. I, I don't feel it's an apology for the villain to describe what made the villain a villain. Yeah. Yeah. But it does break the question. Like if, we were in that position, would we do anything different? Hmm? Well, that's you know, the hard always part. Always, I'd like yeah. to think so. Yeah. You know, we like to think so, but... Yeah, yeah it's, it's easy to have opinions of how you'd behave in, in that theoretical situation yeah. while you're not in that theoretical situation. Yeah. Actually being faced by it is a completely other factor that's going to, you know, yeah. potentially well, have severe changes on the outcome. I, I, I think we know how we would react in that situation because we're reacting in that situation now now. according Mm -hmm. to axel and and everything that made sense from what you just said but yes we are still the difference is that the one difference is that we are not seeing it yeah like it 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 is it it is removed like and that is a, a big part of the success of capitalism well at this at this point we are the the english nobility while the rest of the world is getting pillaged yeah 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 yeah. Well, well, the English middle class, the ones who who have it quite comfortable, but aren't directly involved. Yeah. Yeah. Valid point. Yeah. The ones that are the, the ones that are kept as the content masses to help feed the machine and benefit from the machine without seeing what sausage is being fed into the machine. Not the people who are actually running the machine and making all of the major profits off of the machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're cogs. 
Are we talking about the Soylent Green Machine? Potentially, yes. <laughs> That's actually part of the premise of Little Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you have this family who lives in Massachusetts, I believe. And it's, I think it's during the Civil War or just before it. It's been a while, so the details are fuzzy. But either way, like, the girl's dad is very, you know, pro-abolition and does his very best to walk the walk and now they're poor (laughs) like they have very very little to live off of and you know their neighbors are like oh well that doesn't have anything to do with you like you're not involved in the war you're just living here so like they they see them as very very strange and weird and you know not really worth sympathy because they do it to themselves. And, you know, so everybody around them in the neighborhood gets to walk around enjoying their cotton and, you know, their money and, you know, their resources and thinking, oh, well, because we're not the ones producing it in the South, we're, you know, we're not the ones enslaving anybody. We're not the ones, you know, running these slavery operations that has nothing to do with us. Meanwhile, you know, Massachusetts wealth comes from cotton mills and, you know, shipping it over to, you know, Western Europe to be like refined and like the like everything that makes that is making the US wealthy, that's setting this new country up for success is directly tied to enslavement in the South in their own country. And yet it's like, well, it, we're we're not the ones doing it, so we're not the ones at fault. Yeah, nobody wants to pull on the thread to find out what that thread is attached to or what it leads back to. It is hard being a principled capitalist. It is impossible to be a principled capitalist. True. It is hard to be principled and live in capitalism. Yes. 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 That's, I think that's what I meant to say. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought. <laughs> well, well, we figured it out. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you for providing the context for that, because, well, I don't know. The, the thought that was coming to me was it, it's the process of having a group of people who live in abject mediocrity. Yeah. Keep them in that complacency and then let everything else happen around them as long as they don't look too deep in what's going on or ask too many questions. And Nynaeve said that. She was like, you think these people had been Sanchuan, Sanchuan, whatever, for their entire lives and not just a few months, the way they're, you know, just living regularly. Mm -hmm. She peeped it immediately. Um, And I think that very much is, it, it is that. It's like, they've won. Now our choice is to either get on with life and ignore this horror, or we have to fight and we'll lose and die. And so given the choice, you choose to live and you normalize it and you hide it. You know? There was there was something similar said in that small town where um uh Perrin freed um Avienda when he's at the hotel. The hotel owner says, you know, in some ways it was easier under the Shan Chen. You just swore your oaths and then they pretty much left you alone. Whereas the white cloaks won't stop bothering you. <laughs> I mean, we see what happened to Uno. <laughs> yeah, it's, you 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 have an invading army come in, they take over everything, and you just you still have to go to work the next day. You still have to feed your family somehow. Yeah. 
Samaria, you said we've seen what happened to Uno, but I know you didn't see what happened. Oh, to Uno. I didn't see a thing, but, I, <laughs> but I, I've heard what happened to Uno. <laughs> you heard it happened to Uno. <sighs> you didn't just hear a description. <laughs> no. <laughs> so here's another uh, quote from Borowski that speaks to the con- being, con- being conquered. Um, despite the madness of war, we lived for a world that would be different, for a better world to come when all this is over. And perhaps even our being here is a step towards that world. Do you really think that, without the hope that such a world is possible, that the rights of man will be restored again, we could stand the concentration camp even for one day? It is that very hope that makes people go without a murmur to the gas chamber, keeps them from risking a revolt, paralyzes them into numb inactivity. It is hope that breaks down family ties, makes mothers renounce their children, or wives sell their bodies for bread, or husbands kill. It is hope that compels man to hold on to one more day of life, because that day may be the day of liberation. And not even the hope for a different, better world, but simply for life, a life of peace and rest. Mm -hmm. Never in the history of mankind has hope been stronger than man, but never also has it been done so much harm as it has in the war, in this concentration camp. We were never taught how to give up hope, and this is why today we perish in gas chambers. Wow, that's Mm -hmm. bleak. Yeah. He killed himself uh, three or four years after the war ended. It's yeah. His his story is incredibly bleak, but that's kind of what happened. You know, like yeah. um, I read uh, this way to the gas, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as a teenager because my mum had a lot of books about the Holocaust, um, which is quite common for Germans who grew up in the post-war years. Um like to acknowledge what had happened and to want to understand the brutality of it. So going through that trauma brutalizes people, even the, you know, the survivors, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm. woof, woof. Yeah. Uh, piece. <laughs> I mean, generational trauma is a thing. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, we've had a few of these types of episodes that, at the end of the episode, I know I'm going to be for at least a a week going over the thoughts and trying to process and, and it, it scratches corners of my brain that I let be quiet and, and doesn't let them be quiet anymore. And it's needed and it's valued, but puppies. Yeah. 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 As somebody who grew up a white guy in the South, there were reminders all over the place about the um, the antebellum. You know, there are plantations everywhere that, you know, were marketing themselves as wedding spaces. And just oh God. <laughs> beautiful places to visit without ever acknowledging the history. And uh, there has been a movement lately to really acknowledge that part of it. Uh, a guy that Maddie and I went to high school with. He worked with a uh, a plantation on the Mississippi River in Louisiana, and really helped to put all that into into the tours. Put it into perspective. It's like, okay, we're gonna see the dark side 
of this, you know, mansion with these beautiful grounds. Uh, here's what happened to the majority of the people that lived on this land. So I'm, I'm glad that there is really a reckoning of that. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it, it's an interesting time to, to, to be living now because we're really starting to acknowledge this and hopefully learn from it. Hopefully slowly people are maybe coming around. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an interesting time to be here. It only took us what, 150 years to just begin to start <laughs> acknowledging it. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not hopeful for learning lessons just yet. Right, right, right. Uh, I, I, if, if what Axel put forward is anything good, don't be hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Make it happen. Instead of just relying on the hope, we need to actually make action. Uh, so Maria, you had something you still wanted to bring up. Yes. I love the way Rena died or was killed. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> True. And, like, <laughs> one, because she dies and it's like, yay. Um, so I guess a little bit of this is kind of like a fantasy played out because, you know, this almost never rarely happened in real life. And when it did, like, Black folks were punished. They paid for it with their lives. Their communities paid for it. Like, collective punishment and Black folks go hand in hand. Um, but also, like, just, just to be serious about it. Um, one, I, I, just, I really liked how honest the scene is. Um, not just, like, Egwene kills her, you know, has her come up and turn about is fair play and all of that. Um, like just the honesty where, you know, Rena appeals to Egwene's humanity, like the first time she ever acknowledges this, even if it's for entirely selfish reasons, actually, especially because it was entirely selfish. Like even now she's still like, she's, she's, dying and she knows she's dying she knows that Egwene has if not the upper hand then they are very suddenly peers you know she's like I'm still your Saddam but and then she's like here take it please free me like she's asking Egwene to do something that she never once considered herself like herself doing um and I really like this how this episode the scene like makes stark you know how we say that overseers and enslaved people you know are pretty much the same and it's only you know chance that gives even one of like one of them even a little bit of an upper hand and here Rena learns that like immediately in the worst possible way that she could ever learn this lesson one she learns that she's a channeler too however weak um and immediately she is she's like oh shit i'm a channeler i like everything and i've told you know Egwene and others that you're you like you're not a person i'm suddenly i'm the same i'm not a person either mm -hmm. um and you know like 
really understanding here is your place in this world, and it is not a good one. You are as much a cog in this machine. You are being used. You are, in your own way, enslaved. <laughs> mm-hmm. You, like, your humanity has been compromised, has been abused, has been exploited. Um, like, you're, you... You're saying, oh, you've you've been saying going, oh, you know, you're you're not a person, but you're useful. Oh, here, so are you. <laughs> it's um, like you're... a white person suddenly developing class consciousness. Oh yeah, but only for their own benefit, only because oh, it benefits yes. them. Yeah, <laughs> they, there's no solidarity. Here. No, no, no. Um, Other than and... please spare me. Mm-hmm. And Egwene actively tells her no. You're going to die exactly how you were committed. You had dedicated your life to killing me. You're you're going to die this way. You're going to die, you know, from hanging. You're going to die begging for your life, for your humanity to be recognized. You're going to die looking in the eyes of the person that you have tortured these last few weeks, these last few months, however long they've been there. Um, you're going to die knowing that everything you've committed your life to, your life's work, your work as a person, your worth is, has been for naught because you were the same as me. Um, and the only mm-hmm. way you're going to be free is the same way you told me I was going to be free. And that's through death. Um, and I was like, ah, this is poetic. I love this. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. And it's what, and it's what she deserved, you know? Oh gosh, and I'm not gonna bring. It's just not the time to rant about this. But you know the whole when they go low, we go high. I don't believe that. (laughs) 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 There is a time and a place for that, and it is not in this situation. And I, like I said, I love how honest that is because that's exactly how it played out. And unfortunately, Egwene cannot, you know, free her fellow Demone, but she can free herself, and I think that is very. That is very realistic as to how this plays out many, many times. Like, there have been plenty of slave rebellions. Only one was successful, Viva La Haiti. Um, and a lot of people's, a lot of people's, you know, rebellion was very personal. You know, it was for themselves. It was for their immediate family because you cannot free the entire farm. You cannot free the entire house. You cannot free the entire plantation, but you can free yourself. And a lot of that dehumanization was very personal, too. Right. And it was. And I'm like, yes, of course. Like, Egwene did what she needed to do, what she had to do. Good luck on your next incarnation, Rena, because you're going to need it. Yeah. Whew. In that same vein, uh, she also, you know, could have gone with the, I would totally free you. But remember what I promised that I'd kill you? I got to keep my promise. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the kind of person I am. (laughs) She uh, very honest. (laughs) There's one more point that I want to bring up that is external from Rena to an extent, which is talking more on the the trope of uh, the villain and the villain empire putting the least experienced person in charge of the most powerful weapon they've found. Maybe she got good grades. I know, but but it was it was one of the things that I thought of is like you guys have this thing that's more this person that is more powerful than any person you've come across. 
and you went, yeah, let's not use a seasoned person on let's this. Let's use the rookie. that person who was really good in school. Let's, let's give them a shot. Now, was it good in school or did her dad know somebody? Might have been her dad knew somebody. Yeah. yeah. But it, 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 it was a, it is a trope that is often used to give a chance because unfortunately, in reality, that isn't always the case. Right. And here, her inexperience, to a certain extent, gave the option of the story being able to go the way it did. If yeah. they put somebody who was seasoned and knew exactly how to handle things and didn't get out of control when dealing with this situation, it would have been a, a, a much darker, much more difficult situation to get out of. Right. So, but the thing is that inexperience also is like, OK, that initial cruelty, she didn't, you know, she didn't know what the line was. Yeah. So, you know, she she kind of had to be there. I wonder how much of that is a result of just overconfidence and how well the system has oh, worked yeah. for them so far. Oh, it is. Definitely. It's total overconfidence. Definitely overconfidence. The, the, the villain characters are often given that moment of, I can handle this. And then the hero gets that chance to show, no, you underestimated me. Right. I mean, that that's also just how slavery in the Western Hemisphere worked. Like, yep. like it there was a concentrated campaign over decades, centuries to convince white people that black folks were idiots to like cover up how much knowledge, like white folks didn't know how to go, go rice in the Carolinas, but you know who, who does <laughs> enslaved yeah. Western Africans. Like they're a 12 year old enslaved kid was the one who figured out how to cultivate vanilla. Like, Oh, what's his face? Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin relied on enslaved people for like architecture, astronomy, like, like, and they didn't have formal education. So these are people who are just learning these things in their spare time and come out smarter than people with formal education. And mm -hmm. I, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that had, that went into like Sodom and Demane, like, these people are really fucking powerful. So the only way you're able to feel in control of them is by enslaving them. Yeah. And then, you know, and they obviously Rena convinced herself that th this is true, that that's right. <laughs> I am better than them. Yep. And you really have to have an inflated sense of self in order to think that you can control. Um, and I think we want to end this one the way it started with uh, the rest of us getting out of this way and letting Samaria talk. Uh, so, Samaria. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, I've mentioned before on this podcast that these episodes with Rena and Egwene were the most true to life depictions of slavery that I've ever seen. Um, and... I do want to specify that's how I've ever seen, because, you know, like many other black kids, I grew up on roots. I, you know, was dutifully shuffled to the movie theater every time a new movie about slavery or the civil rights movement was shown. And, you know, I studied history and came to love American history um, in undergrad. and. You know, there's always, like, I don't think you can grow up Black in a Black family um, in the United States and not understand or be taught about slavery and the many, many ugly ways that it manifested. Um, and in college, I learned just about how 
everything in American and really Western society and culture has been touched by slavery or is a direct result of it. Um, And yet nothing really ever like truly hit home until these episodes. Um, And that's probably just the way my brain set up, like the kind of media I like to watch, the kind of things I relate to. Um, But just the really the brutality of it, how like the psychological trauma of it, um, you know, I've learned, I've heard like, oh, slavery was torture, plantations were slave, like slave labor camps, you know, there was nothing nice or cute or beautiful about what people gone through, like knowing that, you know, Black Americans like have our literal genetic code has been altered by slavery. Like, you know, knowing that like the reason why the average African-American is 12% white, like none of, none of those things really, like, you know, those things you intellectualize them, but I didn't internalize it until I saw it in real time. Um, in, in this particular universe, in this world, in this particular portrayal. Um, And like, even now, like I've seen these episodes, what, 10 times by now, and I still have to take time and pause these episodes, fast forward through those scenes, mute those scenes to be able to get through it. Um, I have such a visceral reaction. Like I feel connected to my elders, my ancestors in ways that I never had before. And like, I, I don't know, do I thank Robert Jordan? Do I think the showrunners for this I don't know um but like I do like if I were teaching I would actually show these episodes to students to be like this is a very accurate like quality portrayal of slavery in the U.S. and just let the kids absorb that however they need to um yeah so um, it's, it's very heavy. Like I, once we get more seasons, I don't know whether I'll watch these episodes again, or at least as often as I have in the past few months, but I, I do appreciate that they exist. And I'm, and you know, I'm really sorry that they didn't get any kinds of awards recognitions because they deserve them. Yeah, here, absolutely. Here. Um, and yeah, I think with that, we'll just call this an episode thank you thank you for all of your thoughts samaria and everyone else um this was a heavy topic but an important topic and i'm glad we finally got time to discuss it with that uh let's just say thank you to michael and jen at the secret watch party island headquarters thank you michael and jen thank you they're the ones who facilitate all of this, these conversations that we have and you can listen to them on their own podcast watch party lord of the rings uh, also on the Watch Party Network, you can find a Watch Party of Ice and Fire and Watch Party Gaiman. So check those out if you have time. And uh, final question. I think we're going to uh, switch directions on this one. What is your favorite stupid joke? Knock, knock. Who's, Who's there? there? Dishes. Dishes who? Dishes Sean Connery. <laughs> My nephew's favorite joke when he was like, I don't know, three or four years old 
what do you call a dog with no legs? I don't know. What do you call a dog with no legs? <laughs> Anything you want. It can't come anyway. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a mom and her kid were on a flight, and the kid was like, hmm, mommy, if big dogs have little dogs and big cats have little cats, do big planes have little planes? And the mom was like, go, go ask someone else. Mom's had a long day. <laughs> yeah. She's flying with a kid, of course. The kid turned to the flight attendant and asked, ma'am, if big, big dogs have little dogs and big cats have little cats, do big airplanes have little airplanes? And the flight attendant was like, hmm, did your mom tell you to ask me that? And the kid was like, yep. And the flight attendant said, well, big planes do not have little planes because Southwest Airlines always pulls out on time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Benjamin Button. Benjamin who? Benjamin. Who's there? Knock, knock. <laughs> I still haven't seen that movie all the way through. <laughs> Uh, a priest, an imam, and a rabbit walk into a bar. The rabbit says, oh shit, I'm in the wrong joke. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a typo. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? there? Interrupting spear. Interrupting, Interrupting spear. spear. <laughs> <laughs> also, there was a chicken. walks into a bar, a bartender says, why the long face? And the horse says, what, have you never seen a horse before? Guy walks into a bar, says, ouch. Two guys are walking down the street. One of them walks into a bar, the other one ducks. Baby seal walks into a club. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Wow. oh, my God. Don't keep that on the recording. <laughs> this is like psychologically damaging. <laughs> Damn. Are you okay? <laughs> The baby seal raved all night. <laughs> 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 <laughs>